Welcome to the Startup CPG Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Freitag. With 200 Prime members worldwide and 60% of online purchases starting with an Amazon search, CPG brands can't ignore the opportunities available on Amazon. At Startup CPG, we're committed to helping small brands succeed on all channels, including Amazon, and that's why we've partnered with Marketplace Ops. Today, we welcome Fernando Campos, co-founder of Marketplace Ops, a leading online marketplaces brand management agency that helps CPG companies accelerate their growth on Amazon and Walmart. Listen in as Fernando covers pre-launch and launch tips, how to handle negative reviews, a better way to think about ACOS targets, and strategies for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Hi, Fernando. Thanks for being here today. How are you? Hey, Jesse. I'm good. I'm excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to have you here and would love if you could tell us a little bit about Marketplace Ops and about yourself. Yeah. So my name is Fernando Campos. I've been selling uh, on Amazon since back in 2014 with my business partner. Over the years, yeah, we have been really, really fortunate. When we first started, it was just two guys kind of importing a lot of like home and kitchen items, you know, sourced from China and, you know, creating private label brands and getting them to sell on Amazon. You know, over the years, we've helped advise like a lot of like, you know, CPG companies. We've built our own brands. We've been really fortunate. We've actually sold two businesses at this point, one software company and one set of brands. Now what we're working on today is marketplace ops. And what we do is we, we work with like fast growing CPG brands and really help them scale on the Amazon channel. We love working with those kind of challenger brands that are going against like, you know, the Unilevers or the PNGs of the world. We like to think of them as like the Goliaths and, and just really helping like the, the smaller, like more nimble guy like win. And so, yeah, you know, within Marketplace Ops, like we've got a team of 75 people now and we work with a lot of the brands in kind of a, a full service capacity where we manage everything on the channel from developing the strategy, managing advertising, launching new products, content, supply chain, you name it. And so a lot of people kind of think of us as like an outsourced chief Amazon officer with like a whole team behind it. Sounds like great support that you're providing. How did you get connected with the startup CPG community? Actually, I think Alex from Ancient Provisions had mentioned that the startup CPG like Slack had started. This was early 2020. And so I I think I joined, you know, maybe towards the beginning of this year, actually in 2021. And then, yeah, I mean, it was just trying to be active, trying to help out, like answering any questions that I could. And then we ended up doing our first clubhouse event that went really, really well. And so, yeah, I mean, overall, we got a ton of great feedback. And so I've just been trying to, to stay involved and help out as much as we can. And when you and I both talked a little bit in advance about some of your more common questions that you get, thinking about our community and how we have a lot of people that are either thinking about launching on Amazon or just getting started on Amazon. How do you recommend evaluating potential demand for a product on Amazon? It's a great question. I think that's one of the really important distinctions between, you know, launching a brand on Amazon versus like, you know, something more like direct to consumer, you know, leveraging like Facebook and Instagram and and Shopify. And why that's different is you know, when you're on Facebook, you know, you're used to kind of interruptive marketing, right? So you see this cool new widget, you've never known that that widget existed, you're like, Oh, this will make my life easier. And then you click through it and, you know, potentially purchase it, you know, Instagram is the exact same way where Amazon is not necessarily like the best discovery platform. And so what that means is that people usually 
have like super high buying intent, but they need to know that the product exists and they need to be looking for that specific product for a lot of products to do well. And so I think the quick and easy way of seeing if there's like demand for a specific product is there's a lot of like really cool Chrome extensions out there. So some of them are like Helium 10, Jungle Scout, Myro Launch has one called Marketing Intelligence. And what these tools do is they will kind of estimate the sales by looking at a number that actually Amazon provides called the bestseller rank. And so bestseller rank basically gives you relative search volume by category for all the products in like, let's say like the home and kitchen category. So the number one bestseller rank is going to have like the highest volume at that point in time compared to the other like whatever five to 10 million products in that category. And so they'll kind of ballpark using the sale price and then that, that BSR, that bestseller rank to give you an idea of how each individual listing is doing in terms of sales. And then so you can use that as like a kind of a top level vanity metric, if you will. But and then after like you kind of identify that category that you're interested in, I would definitely go into like brand analytics and then do like a deeper dive into like understanding like the the breakdown of where people are finding the specific products. And so what we'll typically do is like if we're helping a client, we'll grab the ASIN, which is like the unique identifier for each product, for every product on Amazon. And then you can plug that into brand analytics, which again is within Amazon's brands dashboard. And then what you can do is enter in that ASIN into the dashboard. And then it's going to pull up all of the keywords where that product is ranked in the top three. And so it's going to give you a lot of really cool insight. Some of the things is like, yeah, what is the click share? So what of like, let's just say we're doing like keto protein bars, for instance. It's like, if you're looking at like Quest Nutrition's bar, for instance, like what percentage of the clicks they're getting from, from that specific keyword, what percentage of the conversion share are they getting? So like out of all the sales that are happening on that keyword, like, do they have like 10%, 20% of like the sales? And then the last piece that I think is really helpful is that it gives you a search frequency rank for all the keywords, again, where it's ranked in the top three. And so this is like a little bit more like advanced, but I think it's super, super important that people think about it is getting an understanding of like, okay, these are the ways that people are finding this product, but how much of it is coming from branded search versus unbranded search? And so Unbranded is just kind of like what it seems like where someone's searching a generic term without looking for a specific brand, like again, like keto protein bars versus looking for Quest protein bars would be like a branded search. And so what a lot of people don't know is that unbranded search represents about 78% of all search on Amazon. And so you want to find like a good distribution, especially if you're like a newer up and coming brand. You want to find like a good distribution of unbranded search that you can kind of take advantage of. And that's like the best way to kind of optimize and evaluate a lot of potential demands. Wow, that's super helpful. And I'll include some of the links that you mentioned in the show notes so that people can access those. I'm also wondering if a brand comes to you and is wanting to launch on Amazon, say they've done some research or maybe they're going to come to you with some research, what can a brand do to prep themselves and make sure they're set up for success before launching on Amazon and approaching a vendor like yourself? There's definitely a lot of things that you can be kind of like working on ahead of time. I think, yeah, the first thing is, of course, like setting up your Amazon seller account, just getting that uh, up and running. Sometimes the approval process can, can take a few days or a few weeks, You know, especially if, let's say, you're going into grocery, you can start working on you know, submitting the invoices from your co-packer, 
so that you're approved for grocery, things like that, you know, kind of securing your insurance, any kind of like requirements that you're going to need for the the category. Like sometimes you need COAs if you're in the supplements category or, you know, an MSDS, all of that stuff can, can be done kind of ahead of time. Actually, we'll help a lot of our clients with these kind of things. I think that the next piece that I would really look at is getting the trademark registered. And then so either you have it like you where you're going directly through the USPTO or like Amazon has a really cool program called the Amazon IP accelerator program where you pay a little bit more. It's like, you know, $1,000, $1,200, but they'll kind of like fast track your, not the actual registration process, but the approval within Amazon based on, you know, getting kind of like a, a blessing, if you will, from one of their approved attorneys. And then you'll get like the access to like the brand registry program within about like two weeks. And so brand registry is going to give you a ton of access to different tools, like one, like the brand analytics that I just covered earlier, but then also to like the brand's dashboard and yeah, just a lot of different uh, options, like, you know, enhanced brand content, things like that, that just make it a better experience to sell on Amazon. So I would say, yeah, brand registry and getting that trademark is probably number two. And then, yeah, I mean, the third part is is probably just having inventory like ready to go as quickly as possible, especially since right now there's a ton of supply chain kind of crunch, I guess, if you will. And so just having inventory at a 3PL ready to go that you can have dripping to Amazon would be ideal. And then the fourth piece, honestly, in... I probably should have started with this one is but just having a great product. I think, you know, the more differentiated the better and you know, we'll take care of setting up like the listing and coming up with a strategy and all that stuff, but I think having like a great brand, a great product is one of those things that you would think it's focused on a little bit more, but I think is a huge, huge piece. And then, like I said, yeah, we'll take care of like setting up the listing, pulling customers to optimize for click through rate, all that like you know, kind of more nuanced stuff. But I think those are the the big things that really help if a a client has taken care of ahead of time. Great. That's super helpful. And if a founder or brand is deciding to want to work with a partner, I'm wondering if you have any tips for finding partners to work with. I mean, obviously, hopefully our community is reaching out to you (laughs) as an awesome partner, but I'm wondering if you have other tips for as people try to find a vendor for work to work with or help on their Amazon account. I know at LibBar, I've probably worked with three plus different vendors and evaluated a dozen. And I'm guessing that you have some tips on things to save people time or help them find a partner that really fits before they engage in in having someone help them with their Amazon account. Actually, I've never been asked this one. I like this question a lot. I would say, you know, First, like, you know, most service providers, I, I always personally just ask for references. I, I think it's one of those things. It's just important, especially in a partnership like this, right? Where obviously Amazon is, is a pretty major channel. I, I would definitely always want to, you know, hear from someone that's currently working with them and just getting a better understanding of like, yeah, what, what are the best parts of working with them? Like, what do you wish they would improve on? And I think that can tell a lot. I think the next thing that I appreciate when people ask is, Getting an understanding of who specifically is going to be working on the account. Cause I think, you know, a lot of agencies have phenomenal salespeople, but in then like, you know, they have like the intern working on your account or someone that just joined the company like two weeks ago <laughs> and is yep. like still trying to figure out like where to go, you know, like, you know, where their desk. And so that's obviously like not the ideal. And so I think what I think a lot of savvy purchasers, if you will, will do is just like, Hey, like, okay, we're at the proposal stage. I really like you guys, but you know, there's a lot of expectation from our side. 
can we set up a meeting with who would actually be our account manager? And so we can kind of get to know them a little bit better before we sign. And so I think that's perfectly smart. Like I, I perfectly okay. And I think it's really smart just because yeah, a lot of the time you see like the CEO or like one of the salespeople just kind of promises like the moon. But in then, yeah, again, you get the, the new person on, on the account. And then I think another last thing that I would just be thinking about, and, and you can kind of do this th- during the betting stage, but it's just like finding out how many clients each account manager manages. Because I think that's, you know, one of the things that you, you just hear like no two firms do it exactly the same way. But like I hear of some firms where like each account manager has like 20 brands, which to me is like, you know, crazy because yeah, there's just no possible way that you can do a good job and manage 20 brands at the same time, even if you have help. And so I think it's getting an understanding of like how many people like are they going to be managing at the same time? Yeah, other questions you can ask is like, you know, everybody has like case studies, but it's like, yeah, what case studies do you have that are, you know, more similar to me, like within the same space and figure out how recent was that? Because if you, you know, launched, uh, you know, a brand five years ago, and they did really well. Like Amazon was a lot different five years ago. But if they're able to do something in the last 12 months where it's like a lot more competitive, I would just add a lot more weight to that versus like to someone that managed like a big brand but started again five years ago and then like, you know, just had a, a way less competitive marketplace to deal with. Do you also recommend finding someone that specializes in CPG or at least has CPG in their portfolio? I think as long as you have worked on CPG. I, I think it's finding like, you know, done more than like five, 10 clients. Uh, like, I mean, I'd love to pitch and be like, no, they have to be focused on CPG like us. But yeah, truthfully, I think if you've done it like five or 10 times, I think it's, it's fine. Uh, I mean, I think there's like little nuances that, you know, you deal with in CPG that, you know, we have an advantage over. Like, so for instance, it's, you know, like a big thing is like, how you can set up kind of like lots using like FN SKUs and like stuff like that, you know, like how to deal with like the expiring inventory, like things like that, that if your bread and butter is like maybe like electronics, then might not be as as relevant. And so that's going to be like a learning curve. But I think as long as they truthfully like managed a handful of clients within CPG and they're smart, like really understand like the platform, for the most part, it's going to be the same in terms of like ranking your product, like optimizing listings, all that kind of stuff. I think the, the other thing that might be new to them is just the claims. Because I think naturally within food and beverage or supplements, there's just a, a lot of nuance in terms of like what you can write in your copy, what you can include in your secondary images, all of that kind of stuff that I would be really thinking about. Great. That's super helpful. I'm also wondering, I've seen a lot of and had this recommended to me actually of using an AI tool to manage the different Amazon campaigns. I'm wondering about your take on that. Is that something that you've seen founders be successful running themselves? Is it something that if you're going to a vendor, you should ask them like, hey, are you using an AI tool to manage our ads? Should you require it? I'm curious about your take on some of these AI tools. So yeah, I mean, I think a founder can definitely manage this. I think founders can definitely like basically learn anything. I think to me, the way I frame it, I guess, is like a founder can learn anything and manage anything, but like should they? Because they maybe shouldn't learn learn and manage everything. I think, you know, when I think of like a, a CEO or founder's typical responsibilities, it usually revolves around like, you know, finance, like recruiting, like setting the vision and, and growth. And so I think 
advertising or the AI tools definitely fall into that like growth portion. I think it, especially in the early days, but I think as, you know, as businesses scale, then I think this is probably one of the first things you probably want to like delegate or, or put somebody else in place. I think as it comes to like the AI portion, I mean, a, a lot of the tools out there, like the best tools, whether it's Hackview, Perpetua, Kenshu, they rebranded with Sky, but like all, all of these guys are going to have some kind of like AI portion. I do think that the personally, like the best solution is, is a combination of, of the two, right? You have like a person that's actually reviewing what the tool is doing, helping create that strategy. But the, the AI helps them in terms of being more integrated, being able to make decisions faster, pulling out better reporting, things like that, that would just be very tedious for like an individual to be constantly doing. And so I, I think that's just generally how we think about it. We spent actually a lot of time earlier this year. We must have like interviewed 10 of the top like advertising tools out there and just did like a really big deep dive into all the different platforms. Like for us, like yeah, for those that are curious, we decided to go with Packview. We love them. I think I think it's been it's been a great partnership so far. I think the cool thing about them specifically is that like you know, depending on what the goal is of the business, like they're able to customize their solution and the strategy towards that. Where a lot of other tools surprisingly don't have that ability. And so, like an example is like you know, most businesses are going to be focused on profitability, right? And so. A lot of tools are just built around like, okay, we need to be focused on profitability and that makes sense. But, you know, if you're a venture backed like CPG company, profitability is probably not your top priority, right? And it's usually like hitting certain milestones or like revenue markers. And so uh, having your AI solution really focused towards profitability is really limiting if that's not what you're really going for. And so I think Hackview from the, the different tools that we evaluated, I thought was, yeah, really sophisticated in terms of being able to like set like, okay, here's like the parameters that I'm willing to go after. Like, and you know, whether it's growth or profitability, like this is what's really important to me as a founder. And then the tool is really set up to do that well. And then on top of that, they have like phenomenal reporting, like all that kind of stuff, which made it kind of a no brainer for us. But yeah, I, I would definitely suggest like looking at them. But yeah, definitely having some kind of automation as part of it. But I probably wouldn't go after like the fully automated solution personally. And I definitely want to talk about the all-consuming negative <laughs> review. What are your tips for dealing with a negative review that you get and just crushes your soul, but is also now at the top of your review section and maybe getting some, you know, this is helpful, a little thumbs up on it. What is your advice for dealing with something like that? Oh, man. Yeah. Negative reviews are painful. I totally know what you mean. Like, yeah, I mean, they say that, you know, one, one star reviews like the equivalent of like 25 stars just in terms of like the weight. And so, yeah, I, mean, I think having like a really proactive approach is really good. In terms of like, yeah, maybe more of like the, from the support side, what you can do is you can reach out to the customer via the brand's dashboard. So within the brand's dashboard, you can actually like comment and then, you know, to, to specifically to the customer that like left you the negative feedback. It's going to be public, so it's cool. So other like other people can see it and kind of know that you, in your best effort, you know, attempted to make things right specifically. But truthfully, like 
I'd be lying if I said that this like had like a high conversion rate. Like, you know, even if you take the time to make that comment, which I definitely suggest you do, I don't think like you're going to have like a huge amount of people like, you know, kind of turning their negative review around, unfortunately, but it's, it's worth it to do it, especially if you have someone on your team that has like the bandwidth to be able to go and, and respond. So I think that's like the first thing. This one is yeah a little bit more tricky. But yeah, I mean, if the buyer can't be contacted through the brand's dashboard or like they didn't respond to the outreach, sometimes you can actually file a request to the community section of Amazon. And then you can, you can see if like the review can be removed, especially if like the review looks like malicious or if there's like something that's against like the term of service of like how reviews are supposed to be written, then like that's another approach that you can do. Again, it's like kind of a long shot, but it's it's always worth trying, especially again, because like, yeah, negative reviews carry so much weight and they always like manage to end up like to be your top review on, on that front page often, which is kind of brutal. And then the last thing that again, like it's definitely more in the gray, like it's not, you know, compliant, but there is ways that you can kind of, uh, and it depends on your strategy if you're willing to do this, but you can actually like upvote and downvote views that are on that front page. And so sorry, actually you can't downvote anymore, but you can like upvote other reviews so that like if you have a, a negative review on that like front page of your listing, there's ways of basically getting people to like upvote other ones so that your negative review is not there as, uh, anymore. But I, I think besides those kind of three strategies. The big thing that we really try to hit home with our clients is really creating a strong feedback loop so that you're you're looking at the negative reviews and really trying to improve the product so that in the next batch, it's kind of addressed. And so I think there's like some easy ones like packaging typically can be improved on if like if there's a bad packaging experience, flavoring and stuff like that can take a little bit longer naturally. But I think those are like the big things is just like, not being married necessarily to the first product that you come out with, but just having it be a more iterative process and just constantly focusing on the customer and trying to make it better so that you you have like better natural organic reviews because the difference on Amazon is massive. You know, if you have like a 4.2 versus a 4.3, which you know shows highlighted as either four stars or four and a half stars. Like we'll often see like a 20 to 30% sales difference just by having that like half star. And so it's a huge, huge difference, especially like if you're in certain categories like supplements, what people will assume is that like the, the review rating actually indicates how effective the product is. And so having like a four stars is kind of like a nail in the coffin, where if you're at four and a half stars, like, you're doing super, super well because a lot of people believe then like, hey, this product is actually more effective relative to everybody else. That's super interesting. I hadn't thought about that and the different sales differences. That's really fascinating. Do you recommend sellers participate in like the, if they have, if they meet the requirements, participate in something like the Vine program for reviews? Ooh, good question. So Amazon Vine is a good program. Get to reviews. I will say the people that are in Vine are known to be very harsh critics. And so if you have a product that like, Surefire, there's no way anyone's going to give you anything but five stars. Like, you know what I mean? It, then, sure. Then I, I would go into Vine because maybe you've been selling the product for three years. You've already iterated a bunch. 
And it's, it's a very like simple, like high, you know, high perceived value. Like you're not going to have negative customer experience. If you're unsure and you're like, Hey, you know, th- like this is like my first launch, you know, I haven't gotten a ton of feedback yet. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I probably wouldn't do Vine just because they're like a much tougher reviewer than your average Joe. And so, yeah, personally, I I would kind of just stay away from it, truthfully, and just be patient. You know, you can always like layer in like a little bit of friends and family if if you really need to, things like that. Going to friends of friends, if that's the case as well. But yeah, personally, I I wouldn't do it unless I was like, there's no question this this product is going to get all five stars. That's great. I wish I had received that (laughs) advice before participating in the Vine program the first time. So, Oh no. How'd it go? Was it kind of rough? It was a little rough. There was still some things that needed to be worked out on the packaging. And yeah, so it got some some tough feedback that's been hard to move past. So that's a a really interesting way to think about it. I appreciate that advice. Question from our Slack community. People are always looking for the ACOS or ACOS is there an ACOS people should be shooting for or that you specifically shoot for with a client? Obviously, there's nuance within specific people, but wondering if you have advice around ACOS and also over time, can you can you reduce it and still increase your sales? Just a little bit more about your thoughts on ACOS would be great. I think you nailed it in terms of there's a there's a ton of different variables when thinking about ACOS. I would say, you know, some of the the questions, let's say this was like a, a prospect that I'm talking to on the phone, I would want to get a better understanding of like what category they're in, how recently has this product been, you know, launched, what I guess life cycle is and truly like what your goals are with the product, what your goals are for the company, you know, what type of campaign is it? Like all that kind of stuff, I think is going to really vary the answer. And so I guess I would, I would probably have them reframe it in a little bit of a way. So I think in, instead of focusing on a specific ACOS, you know, typically what we're looking at is like what percentage of revenue does ad spend represent overall? And so like a lot of people will call it like tacos, but it's a, your, your total ACOS. And then so in some categories, you can get away with like ad spend being like seven to 8% of revenue. In some of the more competitive categories, we'll see it be like 20% of revenue. And I think that wor- those numbers work out depending on like obviously your contribution margin. So I, I would say thinking about it in, in terms of total spend is, is probably a, a more helpful indicator. And then, and then, so yeah, then naturally, like your sale price is gonna have a, like a big factor into it. But yeah, and then I think like the last piece is just really thinking about again, like the life cycle of like where, what stage is this product in? And so, for instance, like if we just introduce a new product, like we're thinking of the launch period in like a time frame of like sixty to ninety days. And so within that sixty to ninety days, like we're okay with a way higher A cost, like maybe even as high as like seventy, eighty, ninety, hundred percent, because. At the end of the day, what we're really trying to do is drive a ton of sales on Amazon, teach Amazon that it's relevant for a lot of different keywords and try to spend a lot upfront so that we like rank organically for the long term. We kind of think about it really similarly to like slotting fees going into like a grocery store, for instance. But and then as you start hitting that like maturity of the product, you have like a lot more reviews, you're kind of out of that like launch period. Then, like, it's way easier to kind of like ratchet back and then focus more so 
on unprofitability, which is what a lot of people are are naturally doing. And again, like the reason why the ACOS is so high in the beginning is because your conversion rates are going to be lower, you know, for the first like whatever six to twelve months, because you don't have that many reviews. And so we're focusing on just being really aggressive on PPC, building that momentum, and then therefore you're going to rank organically. And then yeah, once it's been there for a while. Then yeah, we're gonna we're gonna specifically try to optimize. You know, start cutting out all the the bleeding keywords that aren't driving sales, and then really focusing on the ones that are really driving a lot of the volume. Uh, and then you know, naturally, as we get to like ten or twenty reviews, like we do, we start doing a lot of like product targeting. I think that's like another big thing for us specifically. And the reason that we do that is we do a lot of like what's called like polling campaigns. And so we'll take, let's say like our client's main image and then like two or three of their top competitors' main images. And then we run a series of tests where you kind of like randomize which image shows up. And then you ask a customer, real customers like, hey, which of these main images do you like and why? And then so we're constantly like optimizing our client's main image to basically drive like the highest click-through rate. And then that way we know when we launch, like our product is already set up for success because the image is really like eye-catching and shows like a, a, you know the maximum amount of value that you possibly can. And then we'll kind of support that with like the product targeting, you know, so like targeting on a specific ASIN and then you know a certain percentage of people will kind of click through to our listing. And then that's like another great way of kind of building that organic ranking as we start to scale. Again, just kind of depending on like what stage the product is in. So you're doing that polling of the different images. Is that within Amazon or on other platforms as well? Yeah, great question. So we have our own internal like software tool called Project Sling that we like leverage for a lot of these different polling campaign, launch campaigns, you name it. But there's a, an out-of-the-box one called PicFu that's like really, really helpful. A lot of people use that within the space. You could also do something more like set up on your like DIY, if you will, through like Mechanical Turk. But it's a lot harder. So, like, depending on the brand and their budget, I would probably just go with PicFu. Yeah, it's typically a lot easier. Great. I'll definitely link that in the show notes as well. Can you tell us about what your ideal client looks like and what the best working relationship is going to look like for partnering with Marketplace Ops? Definitely. So, I mean, I think the ideal client for us is either someone that's got a little bit of traction on Amazon or they're venture backed. But at the end of the day, they're really focusing growing their Amazon channel is, is a priority for them. And a lot of the time, the founders want to work on something else. Maybe it's on the direct to consumer side, maybe it's like building their brand and it's going into retail. And then they're looking for like a trusted partner to really scale their Amazon channel. I, I think some of the the cool brands that you guys have probably heard of that we work with are like IQ Bar, Hydrant, Neurogum, Moku Foods, like Ancient Provisions, like all of those guys, and a ton more within the food and beverage space. But yeah, generally, that's like kind of the profile of, of customer that we're looking for. What tips do you have for someone that's in the midst of a Amazon launch and making it successful? I love this question. I think you started selling on Amazon like three, five years ago, you could often just kind of list the product, hope for the best, and then, you know, kind of maybe come back to it in a month or two if it wasn't going well and then, and then start maybe driving more outside traffic or, you know, really trying to work on it. I think things ha- have changed a lot, you know, especially with the pandemic, things have accelerated where there's just so many more people now focusing on Amazon that you need to have like a really comprehensive strategy for introducing new products today. 
that are going to do well. So like I think about it more of like a Kickstarter campaign where you're trying to come out with, with like a blast, if you will. Like, you know, again, for like a 60 to 90 day time frame versus like a set it and forget it strategy and just kind of try to be there and, and hope for the best. But I think, you know, when we're introducing a new product, I think first thing is, yeah, again, having a super like differentiated product that has a really well optimized main image. So thinking about running those polling campaigns, making sure that you're doing that work up front. And so it's going to be way easier for the rest of your launch. In addition to that, I would also be thinking about like, if you can keep your sale price really low in the short term. And what you're really trying to do is, again, you're trying to maximize your click-through rate, but also you're trying to maximize your conversions. Because the more conversions that you have in the early days, then the more likely Amazon is start ranking you organically for the keywords that you're going after. And so what we'll do is we'll uh, start by targeting like five highly relevant keywords that you know that you're going to like convert really well. Right. And so for let's say for live bar, right? So you could be going after like protein bars, for instance, but it's such a like huge or like protein snacks, which is even like less relevant, right? Because there's a million different types of protein snacks. But I think if you can, if you start going after like vegan protein bars with low sugar or something like that, like something just really, really specific and that has like a good amount of volume, but it's those five highly relevant keywords that we're going to convert well and stand out. I would go after those to start with instead of going after like every keyword. And then another thing that we'll do is, is leverage coupons on the listing to drive more sessions. We kind of think of it as almost like a neon sign, if you will, like, you know, with whatever 20, 30% off and just trying again to get more people to click on your listing in, in those early days. And it's a great way to like modulate your price later down the line because you can always decrease the coupon from like 30% to 20% to 10% like over time. And so those are like the first few things that we're kind of like thinking about as we like introduce new products. I think your, your main like kind of milestone in the beginning is just trying to get to like those 10 or 20 reviews, depending on your category. And I think at that point, it's kind of like an inflection point in terms of starting to drive other pieces of traffic because now you have reviews and you'll be able to to convert better on other traffic sources. And so we'll start, you know, at that point with the 10, 20 reviews, we're going to be layering in PPC campaigns. We might be driving outside traffic. If you have an email list, we're, we're sending a lot of like, you know, segmented customer lists to try to drive more sales. And then again, we'll be doing that kind of ASIN targeting that we talked about a little, we talked about a little bit earlier, but is like, you know, really advertising against your top competitors. And then because you, you ran the polling campaigns, you're going to get a certain percentage of people that click through your listing. Now that you have the reviews, you can actually start ranking faster on the keywords that they've been ranking for because you're actually kind of stealing the sales from them. And so I think that's a lot of what we do, like, you know, for our launches, you're going to eventually hit these kind of like weird sticking points where maybe you're at like 10,000 BSR and you're kind of, it's almost like a resistance level. And then so at that point, if we've been stuck there for like seven, 10 days, then we'll spend more like on advertising campaigns or again, driving more traffic to try to push through that barrier after it's like, you know, been stuck again for that seven to 10 days. And then just trying to break through to new daily sales rates over time. I guess the last tip, just kind of thinking about it is, yeah, just really, really focus on trying to maintain a high click through rate and a high conversion rate throughout the time. And so if you see your conversion rate drop, 
then I, I would potentially like lower your price until you can maintain that and you keep pushing through like different resistance levels. Yeah, that's super helpful. I also was just thinking about we're approaching Black Friday, Cyber Monday and wondering if you had a few tips about that and like are lightning deals worth running? Is there anything to watch out for or keep in mind with this big push time of year with Black Friday, Cyber Monday? There's so much. So I would say deals, unfortunately, at this point, it's a little too late to sign up for them. But I definitely would evaluate the deals. And so like, yeah, your like 2am slot is like probably not going to do that well. And so yeah, usually like we would kind of like cancel those like kind of ones that aren't going to make sense because you're gonna have to pay like a fixed fee to launch the lightning deal or uh, I would never cancel a deal of the day. But like, yeah, lightning deal or like best deal, I would say I would avoid sending your low velocity or your low margin inventory in or keep it like really minimal. I think, you know, just naturally with everything going on with the supply chain crisis and, and Amazon's fulfillment network or FBA, being just overloaded with inventory right now, then I would be really prioritizing like my highest sell through items, my highest margin items, because at the end of the day, like those are going to be what really drives the bottom line versus trying to stay in stock on everything. Another, you know, good tip is if you have a 3PL that you can like drip inventory in, I think having that set up is, is super, super important. And even better is if they can basically drop ship your item if need be, so that in the event that you do run out of stock on something, sometimes what we'll do is we'll have like backup listings set up with FBM and then the 3PL will just get turned on and then they drop ship for us while we're waiting for shipments to be received at Amazon. Another cool way of kind of spreading risk uh, apart, uh, you know, on Amazon is, is doing what we call like hybrid shipments. And so what you can do is like you know full container loads or like which takes a little bit longer to receive within Amazon, especially during Q4. And so that's way more economical, but you just know that you're going to have like a longer lead time to be received. But then you can do some of those and then other like small parcel delivery or what's called SPD that gets received much, much faster within Amazon. And so instead of sending like only like one container and then like hoping for the best, we would probably send like you know the container, but and then also send a portion through SPD that's going to get received faster. And we think of it as kind of like safety stock of like, hey, this is just going to add a week of buffer just in case. But and then that way, you know, we're never running out of stock, especially on those like really coarse views. I would take a look at that, and then yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, kind of following up on that prioritization, we'll typically do an analysis of like, okay. What is like a like type A skew, like a type B skew, or yeah, or class A, class B, class C, and then it's based on like the sale through and like the profit margin and all that kind of stuff. And then so we we really prioritize like what we send in based on like how important it is to the business. And so I think those are yeah some of the things you know besides like yeah of course like coupons are huge. You can definitely like try to like leverage your brand store a little bit better if you guys are wanting to set up like holiday gift guides or like sending traffic from your like sponsored brand headline ads to your brand store stuff like that you can that you can generally do adding gifting keywords uh, if if it makes sense for your product into your your back end or into your titles or into your secondary images all of that kind of stuff i think can definitely be really meaningful but i think those are some of the the big things that truthfully a lot of it has to do with just like the the inventory because i think that's going to be like the 
the big challenge for a lot of sellers this year. Great. Those are awesome tips. I'm excited about those. So what's the best way for people to reach you if they want to connect with you and Marketplace Ops? Yeah. If anybody uh, wants to reach out or has any questions, wants some advice, happy to be a resource. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can reach out to me directly at Fernando at MarketplaceOps.com. Or if you're um, looking for any of our resources, we have a ton of stuff on the website, but it's just MarketplaceOps.com. We have like a bunch of guides and playbooks and everything else that are that are free. Awesome. And can we find you in our Slack community as well? Yep. Yeah, I'm definitely really active in there. So yeah, feel free to ping me there as well. I check it every day, multiple times a day. Well, thank you so much, Fernando, for coming on the podcast today and sharing these tips. I think our community is going to get a ton of value from these. And we're so glad that Vendors like yourself are a part of our community and are investing in our founders and our community members. So thank you so much for spending time and sharing your wisdom. And I'm excited for our community to be able to connect with you even more. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jesse. I really appreciate you having me on. And yeah, it was a blast. Thanks for joining us. Special thanks to our partner, Marketplace Ops. You can find them at marketplaceops.com. And the link is in the show notes. This Startup CPG podcast is executive produced by me, Jesse Freitag. Theme music is by the Super Fantastics. We'd love to have you join our community of founders and experts. Get the invite at startupcpg.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. It's the easiest way to help us grow our community. See you next time.